The following is an exclusive presentation of 680 WPTF and Applied Vision Works. This is the Building a Leadership Culture podcast, hosted by President of Applied Vision Works, Don Hadley. This is Don Hadley, Building a Leadership Culture is the podcast, and we have a very, very special guest, Don Curtis of Curtis Media Group. I think I almost have as many years in my business as he does in his. Not quite. Not quite? <laughs> no, I'm a lot older. <laughs> well, you don't look or act that way, and that is a wonderful thing. So he's on the podcast to talk us to us about leadership, but also to share kind of his journey over the years. I think many times owning and running a business, not to speak for him, but a lot of leaders talk about it's fun to build, but it's also hard work. It can be very lonely at times, but it's also generally enriching. It also can force us, cause us to have to be better people. So as we talk about this, as you look back early on in your career, Mr. Curtis, what was your leadership style and approach early in your, your career when you first started? Well, you know, I think that is something you have to look back on uh, retrospect because I think if you are really a, a, a leader or one that other people perceive as being a leader, you really probably don't ever sit down and think about it up front and say, you know, I'm going to be a leader. One of the best definitions I've ever heard of a leader is look behind you. If there's anyone following you, then you're a leader. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm not sure I had a philosophy or a, a plan of action. I think it's evolved through the years. I've learned a lot and continue to learn. Uh, I don't think it ever, that's not a process that ever ends, that you continue to learn new management techniques. I think uh, the two greatest commandments are love one another and love others as you love yourself. Well, if you carry that practice over into business, there's some limits to it because you've got to be, you've got to lead the team. And sometimes that means you make hard decisions about individuals that are on the team because if one person is holding back the team the leader has to make a tough decision and so it's not all peaches and cream i mean there are hard decisions that come down the way and uh, uh, you have to make them in the best interest of the whole team or the whole organization is there a situation you can think of back early in your career you handled a certain way but now because of what you know more about some of the tough decisions the commandments that you would have handled maybe differently kind of a contrast yeah i think you learn a lot more by your failure and your mistakes and you make from your your practices i hate that i just want to have all successes myself well i think we all like to but but you know the, the, one of the things that i uh, picked up from somebody i'm not sure who said this but uh, maybe several people said it but you know you manage your weaknesses and exploit your strengths every management person that i know has certain weaknesses or certain areas that they don't excel in or that they don't particularly look as real assets. You know, everybody that you meet, uh, no matter where you meet or, or your team, people make a decision whether you're going to be an asset to them or a liability. And uh, they make that decision pretty quickly. And I think that's the way we always teach our salespeople, for example. But when they're dealing with clients, the client is going to look at you as an asset or a liability. If you come in with a product or a service that's not of benefit or an advantage to the client, then they're going to look at you as a liability. You're using their time to sell them something that they don't think they need or they might not need. Whereas if you find out what their needs are, now, people will pay you to solve their problems. I mean, they always will. People love to have their problems solved. And problems can be opportunities as well as problems. As you're talking about strengths and weaknesses, part of what I've observed over the years is running a business is very different than building and growing one. Mm-hmm. There seems to be another set of skills, capabilities, attitudes. What, how's it different growing, building a business? That seems tougher to me in many regards. 
What, what are the specific well, things? in many respects, they are tied together. And, of course, you know, one of the things that is incredibly important to understand, for everyone to understand, timing comes into this. And some of the timing is just pure luck. You happen to be at the right place at the right time. Now, a good leader or a good entrepreneur will seize upon that. But you can get in a business at the right time, and it's easier to move forward. Uh, You've got something that, at that point in time, is an opportunity. Uh, On the other hand, you can be early. If you're early... You know, uh, I always tell about Bert Hinkler. Uh, do you know who Bert Hinkler is? Don't know. Was? The name's well, not familiar. He was the second person to fly the Atlantic alone. Oh, fascinating. And he flew it an hour and a half shorter than Lindbergh and within six weeks. Wow. But no one knows about Bert Hinkler. Because <laughs> he wasn't the first. It, the timing was so important in that thing. And so timing is just something that sort of happens. And businesses and industries change. And if you don't change with them, then uh, the timing situation can change. For example, when I first got in the radio business, small market radio was very, very lucrative. There were not uh, a lot of regional radio stations. There were only a handful. In fact, in North Carolina, there were only two. And there were. this is back in the days when AM dominated. FM was just on the horizon. So did you hit the timing right or were you well, early? Well, you know, you, uh, sometimes it takes timing a long time. For example, one of the things that happened in the development of FM, everyone knew from 1948 that FM was a superior form of transmission than AM. We all knew that. But it took from 1948 to 1985 before FM overtook AM. And the reason was the listeners all had AM sets. <laughs> and they saw no reason to buy FM sets because there weren't a lot of FM stations. So which came first, the provider or the need? And um, a few people around 1972, 75 began to say, well, you know, we've got this FM station. We ought to do something with it. And and uh, they begin to do it, but it took a long time. Now, other times, uh, like with social media, it can take off a lot quicker than that. And but uh, you know, you you have to stay with it. So, small market radio was big because there were, uh, you know, for example, I uh, for almost 12, 14 years, I lived in Laurenburg, North Carolina. Well, during the seventies and eighties, the listeners in Laurenburg could pick up about five or six radio stations. Wow. Uh, that was about it. There were two local stations. There was a station in Bennettsville that you could pick up WPTF in Raleigh and WBT in Charlotte. That was about it. So then people began to build 100,000-watt FMs, and all of a sudden, you know, there was a opportunity for the listener to say, wait a minute, I can get a bigger variety. The radio stations back in the 70s were all things to all people. And then FM came in and said, wait a minute, we're going to be country music. We're going to be rock and roll. We're going to be this. We're going to be that. So were you growing your business at that time or more just running it? Well, you know, uh, again, I came up in an era where I was told uh, by the people that I dealt with and learned under and was mentored by that uh, FM was going to come. So when we were buying stations, we were aware that if we bought one that had an FM with it, it was probably a good thing. Okay. But I bought one in Laurenburg in 1968, and it was 1978 before it made a profit. Oh, wow. That's a long time. Well, it is because people had no reason to buy the sets. Now, would you be as patient nowadays as you were then for that to come about? I hope I'm still that patient. Because <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Because things change all the time. You know, for example, uh, and of course, one of the other things I think you've got to remember when you're in a business, you've got to be careful that the business and the industry you're in, and I'm you can use those terms interchangeably. I understand. Uh, you know, for example, we're not in the business of distributing. We're not in the radio business. We're in the business of distributing audio. And we use radio, which is transmission through the air. 
to achieve that purpose. But anything that's in audio should be our business. And if the listener wants to listen to us on his cell phone or on his computer or whatever, we ought to take advantage of that and say, okay, we're in the audio business. We're nice. distributing an audio product. Uh, sometimes you can get so wrapped up in it uh, that you forget. You know, I, I, a number of people have made bad decisions. For example, and you're not old enough to remember this, but I am in 1950. You can't be that much older oh, than I'm me. I'm a lot older than you I'm are. I'm 55. How old are you? <laughs> I'm 78. Are you really? I really am. Oh, my gosh. So I'm a lot older than you are. Oh, that just blows my mind. Almost 79. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Happy birthday. Uh, well, uh, a couple of, about a month. Okay. But, uh, you know, if, if you go back to 1952, the number one, we were using typewriters. And the Royal Typewriter Company had the largest market share, over 50%. And uh, they chose not to make an electric typewriter. And a board decision. They said, why would anyone want an electric typewriter? Well, this upstart company in New York, well, international business machines decided that maybe we ought to have an electric typewriter. And so IBM came out with an electric typewriter. And after that, they came out with word processing. And after that, they came out with computers. Royal Typewriter Company is long gone because they made a bad business decision. They thought they were in the typewriter business. What they were always in was in the word processing business. So if we apply that to your business, where is your business going? If you look at the next 10, 15 years, what's the electric typewriter in the audio business? Well, audio will never go away. How it's distributed and how it's used will change a lot. I, I, I frankly have no idea where it's going, and I think you just have to be aware and look and see. I mean, you know, people will always want to hear things, uh, just as they will always want to see things on an instrument we call a television, where the television stations are going, where the radio stations are going, or where the producers of the product are going, that changes every day. But but people are always going to want to learn by hearing and, and be entertained by hearing and seeing, and that won't go away. So, so how does leadership, where the industry is going, tie the culture of a business? Because how many employees do you have overall? I, have, I don't have any idea. I mean, I really, I, I think it's around 200. But so around 200. So how yeah. important does that culture play within this leadership, this discussion? Well, one of the things that you, you see is most everybody looks at the here and now, and they don't look too far ahead. And then the problem I see with most employees in most businesses is, is they live in two worlds. They live in the past and the, and the present. They don't look at the future. And uh, so they what they've learned in the past they want to hold on to, whether it's appropriate or not, and then they worry about the present, and they try to apply what they've learned in the past to the present. They're not looking ahead. You know, for example, uh, in the radio business, our one of our largest categories of clients back in, uh, oh, I guess, 19, in the 50s uh-huh. were, most, were movie theaters. They bought a lot of radio ads. Yeah. Well, movie theaters don't buy hardly any ads anymore. It's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. Uh, it's a different ball game, but in the meantime, healthcare has become a large source of advertising revenue, and it was non-existent. I mean, to think that a hospital would buy an ad uh, for anything back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and even 90s was just not thinkable. So things change, and you have to always be looking for the changing situation and see what what is going to uh, be there on the horizon. Product categories go. You know, for example, I, someone gave me an NC State uh, basketball program from 1962, I believe. <laughs> I was looking at the ads. Uh-huh. There were two full-page ads in there for, for dairies. Pine State, yes, milk and ice cream. Yeah, the Kilgore family. Yeah, yeah. and and that that was in you know that those were buying ads in the NC State football program. You don't see dairies buy ads 
in in fact, you don't see dairies buy ads in much of anything. And there's not many dairies anymore either. Yeah, exactly. So things always change, and basically most most employees get stuck in either the present or the future. The the person who's perfectly balanced, who can, and this gets back to, to lifestyle rather than business, but it carries over into business. The perfect balance is to live one-third in the past, where you learn and remember and enjoy what you've done, one-third in the present, where you are now, and then one-third in the future. I like that formula. That's yeah. interesting. Where'd you come up with that? I, you know, I don't know. Somebody mentioned it to me one cool. time, and I liked it. I said, you know, most, <laughs> most ideas, as you know, are stolen. Oh, absolutely. All mine are, at yeah. least. And uh, But I, I think that uh, what you have in all this process is people get stuck. Most people live in two of those. A lot of people live in the future only. Yeah. And that's sad also, you know, when my kids get out of school, I'm going to do this. When I get the house paid off, I'm going to do this. When I do this and when I do that, well, they're missing the present and the, and, 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 and the past. Plus many times they don't take the actions now to get to that future in a quality way. Yeah. I find gets yeah. happens a lot. What it's, is it's really hard to, Balance all those things off. I mean, it really is. But I think the, the people that seem to enjoy life most can enjoy, you know, for example, if, if you go to a high school reunion, you can really enjoy all those memories and so forth. And you, uh, But you live in the present because you're there. And then you look ahead and say, well, when are we going to get together again? I mean, you know, uh-huh. everything is past, present, and future. A lot of times as a leader, you know, I mentioned early in the podcast, can be kind of lonely because you're having to make a lot of decisions. You mentioned sometimes a lot of times tough decisions. What's something people misunderstand sometimes about you as they interact with you? I, you know, I, I, I'm, I have to think about that. I'm not sure. Okay. I'm not, I'm not sure that I ever look at it that particular way. Here's why I'm asking. Though, I think, I, I, you know, some people, I, I like to usually sleep on things a little uh-huh. longer than most people, and sometimes I will contemplate the decision – over a week, sometimes a month, sometimes even a year. Decisions also fall into different categories. Very often, uh, the decisions are too early and too late, one or the other. So, but I, you know, I, I think it's it's all still trial and error. You know that uh, a number of the decisions you're going to make each day are probably not the best. And again, you get back to that uh, little formula I mentioned earlier on of, you know, manage your weaknesses and export your strengths. One of my weaknesses is I take on too much. I've always got, I've, I'm, a, I'm an idea person. I like to do a lot of different things. Well, I take my focus off completing something. Ah. Very, one of my biggest problems is we'll have a planning meeting and we will leave with that deadlines. Being <laughs> I mean, well, I, and do I you do, hit your deadlines? Well, I, but I've hit mine, but see, I forgot to give the, the uh, people in the meeting a deadline. Ah, okay. And so they leave and, you know, they're waiting to hear from me, I guess. But we should have set a, a deadline in the meeting and said, okay, some things have automatic deadlines like budgeting. You know, you're going to yeah. have to budget by January 1st. But, but a lot of things, uh, if you have a meeting and there's a lot of brainstorming going on and so forth and everybody leaves and they get up and go and there's really not a plan of action. There's a plan, but there's not a plan of action. What do you most enjoy about being a leader? What turns you on? What's most exciting, fun for you that attracts you to leading, whatever that means? I'm not uh, – that's another interesting question I've never really thought a lot about. I think – in management, you've got to enjoy problems. You, uh, again, it, it's the same thing with our advertising clients. You've got to you've got to enjoy taking advantage of opportunities and say, "Okay, I enjoyed accomplishing that." You've also got to enjoy solving problems. And if you're if you don't enjoy those two things, fine. 
it's okay. People do not have to be in management to be successful. They just don't have to be. Management is a little different than anything else. A lot of people think that, uh, you know, for example, I've talked to a lot of car dealers, and they say back in the uh, 90s they made huge mistakes. They would take their best salesperson and make him sales manager. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and just because he was a great salesperson doesn't mean he's going to be a great sales manager. And that's okay. Yep. I mean, that's fine. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with being at the top of the heap. I'd rather be at the top of the heap of a salesperson than be an average general manager. Absolutely. And uh, a lot of people want to be managers so they, they can set their own agenda. Their own agenda. They're not concerned about the rest of the team. They're just concerned about being free to set their agenda. And so they think, if I ever get to be management, I can chart my own course. And uh, no, that's not the way it works. Um, so how does it work? If we can't chart our own course, which I hear where well, you're going. I, th- but- I think you can, but I think uh, some people, uh, they want to set only their own course. They don't want to set the course for the team. They Which is a lot say, more yes, complicated. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, they, they want to be in management to set their personal agenda to heck with the rest of the team. Well, that's not management. So let me ask you this. You're 78. The next 20 years, what's your view of the world, what you're going to be doing, how you're going to interact with it at the you, moment? You know, I, <laughs> I there's a funny story about that. We had uh, a number of years ago, we had what we call a company convention, and we got everybody together. And I sort of set the tone by uh, having, a, I guess, a keynote address or something uh-huh. of that nature. And I said, uh, you know, all of you ought to have a plan. You ought to know where you want to go, and you ought to be, uh, you know, working toward your plan. Da, 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 da. I have a feeling it would be a different keynote uh, today. Well, I, I, I said all that, and then I said, does anyone have any questions? And they said, Mr. Curtis, what's your plan? And it suddenly hit me, I don't have one. I mean, you know, I think uh, I think when you are really uh, entrepreneurial and when you are trying to be an innovator, uh, your plan is you're going to take advantage of whatever comes down the pike, and it changes, and you just can't have a long-term plan. And your long-term plan, therefore, is, well, if we – take advantage of the opportunities and that arise at any given time, then yes, then all of a sudden you do have a plan, but it is a current plan. I, I talk to more and more people in business and they say long range planning is about a year now. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think we've all got a long range plan, but you know, for example, uh, uh, industry, for example, look at funeral homes. Oh, yeah. I mean, years and years ago, every town had one or two or three locally owned funeral homes. Now they're all run by chains. Yep. Yeah, there are a few independents left, but for the most part, it's chains. Kind of um, a little bit like McDonald's in many regards. Uh, well, that's right. And uh, now, you know, franchises are kind of interesting because that's sort of a hybrid between a growth and a local ownership thing. You know, uh, my good friend James Maynard is an interesting guy at Golden Corral. You know, there were a lot of steakhouses back in the 70s and 80s when he started Golden Corral. But only James and Golden Corral kept up with the trend. And now you don't think of Golden Corral as a steakhouse. You think of it as a buffet. Yeah, absolutely. And Desserts and Where are some of those other companies that just disappeared? <laughs> Western Steer and some of the others that you used to see. They, they stuck with their plan, and their plan became antiquated. And so uh, those are – it's kind of interesting. The, the, the uh, smart people change with the opportunities that arise as they come up. So if you had someone starting out in business, and I, I – at least I, when I was coming up very young, I felt like owning a business was a very revered and wonderful thing. I think over the years it's become looked at differently, and a lot of 
younger people I talk to are like, well, gee, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't want the stress. I don't want this, that. So it's not, it's looked at differently nowadays. It's a different kind of stress. I mean, you know, owning your own business, if it's successful, uh, actually uh, can be less stressful because you, you can call your own shots and you, uh, steer your own uh, pattern. But uh, most people don't want to make the early sacrifice. You know, I, I I've told my staff this a dozen times. If it had been for my wife a teaching school, I would have never gotten where I was because there was a time I could not pay myself. I, there was not enough money in the bank yeah. to pay me. I had yeah. to pay all the bills and pay everybody else. And there was one time early on in my broadcast career where, I don't know, of course, I was. What I did is I wrote the checks and paid the taxes on the tax uh-huh. uh, withholding tax and Social Security. But the, but I kept up with the. The, the deficit in the bank and that there's one time i had 17 paychecks in my pocket that i couldn't cash oh wow well if my wife had not been teaching school uh. we would not have <laughs> had groceries i think what most people don't understand about owning your own business is you have to sacrifice you are not going you if you are into if you and your wife want things right now do not start a business because you will not put all the resources that are needed in it, and you will typically fail. Most people are just not willing uh, at this point in time. In this, uh, and there's nothing wrong with this. It's all a matter of individual choice. But now down the road, 30 years later, I look at people who chose not to go into business for themselves, and they're still working for the other guy, and they're worried about the company, and they're worried about will I have a job, will I be forced into retirement, and so forth. So it's uh, – it's a little bit like Fram, oil company, you know, pay me now or pay me later. Absolutely. But you cannot start a business without heavy sacrifice. And most people, I would say probably 99% of the people are not willing to sacrifice now. I have a relative who has been very successful, but he has changed companies about 20 times. I mean, oh, wow. literally, he's a very very successful, but he keeps changing jobs. Well, now he's uh, 65 and he's worried. And of course, there was a time when companies had pension plans and you had not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> so, you know, it's a matter of do you want to sacrifice now or sacrifice later? And uh, most people choose to not sacrifice now. So one last thing before we close, just any thoughts that you've got from kind of having our discussion that you think are important for our listeners or giving advice to anybody in life, not just those in business? Uh, oh, boy, I could, you know, I could. Because I can see you thing. cooking over there and all sorts of things pop. We could probably keep going for four hours. One of the things I think parents fail to do is begin talking about career opportunities and where you want to go early enough. Most kids don't really start about thinking about what they're going to do till about midway through their college. Okay. Uh, and usually some little, you know, the refrigerator door, refrigerator door opens and the light comes on somewhere around their sophomore year in, in college. <laughs> it's so much better. I started out when I was 14, and when I was 15, I was working at a radio wow. station, and I knew that's what I wanted to do. How many kids do you have out of curiosity? I just have one. One. And how many grandkids? I have three. Okay. But I think we fail to push them toward beginning to begin to think about it. Now, very often they're going they're going to change. There's nothing wrong with that. But if they begin to think about it, they begin to look at each situation. And so, if I were to give advice to parents, I'd say start talking to your children early about what you might want to do in life. And also, in that regard, say now wait a minute. Don't don't necessarily pick the thing that pays the most. Pick the thing that you enjoy. You know. Uh, I talk to kids that finish school, and they say, you know, what what shall I do? And I said, well, the first thing you need to decide <laughs> is where you want to live because you can live anywhere. You can live in Alaska. 
And there are people up there with problems and opportunities, and people will pay you to solve the problem. So decide where you want to live first, and then you can decide on the career path. The other thing that uh, I think is overstated is undergraduate education on college level. Okay. Uh, I went to the University of North Carolina, was on the Board of Trustees, and loved that place with all my heart. Well, I'm but sorry I, to hear that. But, well, I'm in State, ready, by the way. Well, I was getting ready to say that the, the, the answer to that is almost everyone had a good undergraduate process no yeah. matter where they went to school but in high school for some reason these these kids build up this thing if i don't get in chapel hill or i don't get in state or yeah. i don't get in wake forest my life is over that is absolutely that's not, not true, true absolutely no yeah it's just not true now graduate education may be a little different <laughs> um, because I think there is certain prestige to certain graduate schools that do help you get a job. Yes. But you can be very, uh, you know, you're going to get out of an undergraduate education about what you put in it. And like I say, I, I believe Carolina Blue, you believe uh, State Red. Those are great schools for undergraduate education. Not saying that, but it's not the end of the world if you don't go there. It's Absolutely. just not. And I think too many kids begin to think that, uh, you know, if I don't get there, my life is ruined. Now, fortunately, they get to another school and they find out pretty early on that they enjoy that one, too. But no matter who you talk to, almost everybody enjoyed their undergraduate program. One last question that made me think about something. I I guess, you know, a lot of times I find as an employer and in working with other private businesses, you know, I look at a library, so to speak, and there's a bunch of PhDs available in the library, not formally, but there's so much information out there that we've got access to. I find... Every employer is looking for people, not so much with the formal education, but they've got the experience, they've got the knowledge, the wisdom that they've learned. And so trying to find those people. So we're going to do a podcast here shortly about really recruiting and retaining good people. Any thoughts as a businessman in recruiting good, solid people and then keeping them in the game with you? Well, you know, one of the things that's interesting is the gender spread or gender difference. I mean, clearly – uh, females mature much more rapidly. And, uh, you know, if you look at college degrees, far more females finish college in four years than males. Yeah. And part of that is, uh, is and this has been going on forever. Uh, we haven't recognized it, but it's been going on forever. But women just mature quicker and make decisions quicker. One of the other things I think that happens in this day and age is because of how sophisticated communications is and television and so forth, males particularly, and particularly white males, try to get by on their charm. And that wears pretty thin pretty quickly very quickly absolutely and, uh, i mean charm is nice and it's it's good but it's uh you can't get by on your charms you got to get by on your wits <laughs> got to be able to produce yeah. the result make yeah. things happen and learn but we find in our company for example that uh, females out of college are ready to go to work i'd say probably 80 percent of males are not ready to go to work they are ready to get a job but they're not ready to go to work that's interesting Wow. And, uh, you know, the first time that uh, uh, they want to go to the beach and they can't get off on a Friday, they begin looking for another job. <laughs> Sooner or later, they find out after changing jobs about three times, well, wait a minute, I'm going to have to go to work in addition <laughs> to having a job. There's a difference in having a job and working. There's a big difference. And, uh, and you know, interestingly enough, somewhere around 28, a uh, little light comes on, the refrigerator door opens, the light comes on, and, and they turn out okay. And, and and to go on and have a good career. I like your uh, refrigerator light thing because I always talk about meringue pie, get the right ingredients. Yeah. It's got to sit there a period of time, but yeah. I like your refrigerator light thing better. Yeah. So uh, It's, uh, yeah, um, this is a live and let live world and a uh, 
world where we live and learn. And there's just no end to that process. And uh, the longer you're around, the more you realize, wait a minute, I've still got a pile to learn. And uh, everything changes. But staying fresh and trying to keep up with things. You know, another thing that has sort of gotten out of step with uh, this, and, and we have been taught forever and ever and ever that you retire at 65. Well, that was when people were living to be about you know, the average death rate was maybe 67, 68. Yeah. Uh, that may be fine. But I, I see a lot of people that retire too early. I've, I've also seen a lot of people change professions and, you know, cut back or and they're perfectly happy. But the happiest people I see are the ones that continue to work and be uh, resourceful and useful. And sometimes that doesn't have anything to do with money, but it has to do with keeping your wits about you and keeping them mind. And some people, uh, I'd say about 10 or 15% of the people my age that are retired enjoy it and they enjoy traveling and they enjoy golf and so forth. I'd say probably a lot of them, if their health is still good, they still enjoy working. Absolutely. And keeping their mind active. And uh, I can't imagine not working. Now, yeah. There's going to come a time. Uh, the runway's getting shorter. I'm in the fourth quarter. I know all that. And uh, But uh, I think you uh, sit down and say, you know, I, I want to go as hard as I can, as long as I can, and yeah. enjoy it. And now, when you cease to enjoy it, it's time to quit or change. Yeah. I mean, because after a certain age, you ought to really enjoy what you're doing, whether it's making candlesticks or being a plumber or being a executive or whatever. You've got to enjoy it. But if, if you don't enjoy it, and I don't think you necessarily have to work as hard and you have more options and so forth, but uh, I, I think we have held on to some things like retirement at 65. Which is really a myth. Is, is a real myth. I mean, it really is. It It was real and practical up until maybe – 20 years ago but it's each year as health of individuals improve and and people are living longer and healthier i I always tell people i say you know this was when i hit 70 i said you know i can remember my dad uh, at 70 he would we would go to the beach and he would put on his bathing suit and go in the water but then he'd go back to the house or the cabin or wherever we were Uh and then he'd put on his shoes and socks and pants and read oh neat okay okay at 70, I'd go in the water, and I came back and get on the boat to see how fast I could make it go. Oh, neat. Well, I mean, I think that's the difference yeah. in 70. Big I difference, mean, you know, yeah. I'm not, I was not unique, uh-huh. but my father was not unique either at that time. Everybody else at his age was doing the same. And, and, and you know, he, uh, I can remember my father at my age, and he was just not as healthy as I am. Now, he was he was healthy, but he was not as healthy or as vibrant as I am at my age. And yeah. it's because of health advantages and so how are you staying healthy, keeping your energy, staying fresh? Because you do seem lots of energy and very. I think it's. I think a lot of it's mental. Okay. I mean, I really do. I I, I don't take do a lot of exercise. If people, <laughs> you know, Calvin Coolidge said, "I choose not to run." I, I, so I think that's my advice. I choose not to run. Uh, I, I I do a moderate amount of exercise, but it, okay. is, it is moderate, and uh, I'm not sure that people that uh, God intended for us to run two miles a day at age seven. I'm in your camp. Completely agree. I mean, I'm just not sure of that at all. And I think a lot of it also has to do with getting your your faith and your belief systems in order, uh, and nice. uh, get, get to to a peace with yourself and your God. And uh, that that takes some time. And uh, that happens also on different levels. Some people reach a conclusion uh, in their faith early in their life, and others it grows and matures. But that that is a very important part of people's life, and I think a lot of people ignore it well too late. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate your time very much. My uh, pleasure. This has been fun. 
Well, let's do it again. Yeah, okay, we'll do we'll, it. We'll let you get back to your having fun and uh, spiritual development. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I need that. Like I said, I'm in the fourth quarter. Please the call me if is you getting shorter. <laughs> Thank you for your time. Thank you. You've been listening to the Building a Leadership Culture podcast, hosted by Don Hadley, owner and president of Applied Vision Works. Any questions, concerns? Please email Craig Chase at cchase at appliedvisionworks.com or call 800-786-4332. This has been an exclusive presentation of 680 WPTF and Applied Vision Works.